Welcome once again to the Grade A Movies podcast on audio and video. My name is Larry Lannon. I missed the last podcast, but I did listen to uh, Adam and I did listen to uh, Alec. Uh, they, they did it themselves. They did an outstanding job. It was a good program. So it's good to have both of you back. Adam, uh, thanks uh, for joining the Grade A crowd again. Did you have a, a good time with your family in town? Yeah, I did. My uh, grandson turned one year old. They were visiting from South Dakota, and that's why I couldn't be on last time. But it was it was great, a good family time, and and uh, we we enjoyed it very much. So thanks for asking. You didn't I, say, "Hey, I gotta miss this birthday party. I have to do a podcast." I actually did talk about that, and they looked at me like, "Okay, where are your priorities?" Okay, I got it, I got it. But my grandson <laughs> is a real joy. Someday, many years from now, Adam, you'll. You'll understand what I'm talking about. One day about. he will go back and he will listen to every episode of your podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I certainly hope not for my sake. <laughs> but Alec Toombs is with us again. Great to have you back, Alec. Hope uh, life is treating you well. Doing well. Thank you uh, for having me and good seeing you both. I, but I do think uh, you guys need to get credit. I, I you know, you, you talk about every time I'm gone, you talk about how much you miss me. And I don't think you really <laughs> need me that much. But it's great to be back with the two of you and to talk about film because it's one of our favorite things to talk about. Uh, you uh, just uh, once again, uh, both of these gentlemen uh, write for GradeAMovies.com. That is a, uh, a a platform on the internet that they created some time ago, and it's interesting because you call it Grade A Movies because Adam and Alec, their names uh, first names start with an A. Of course, I'm not qualified. My first name begins with an L, but you know, gentlemen, my middle name is begins with an A, so maybe I can wiggle in that way. You're always welcome. <laughs> It's a joke, okay? (laughs) No, that is is definitely your platform. You do a great job on that. And once again, uh, thefilmyapp.com, both of you write for that platform, and uh, they've just recently gone to a subscription model. It's a very inexpensive subscription, so if you like good film criticism, and these two gentlemen are part of that crowd, I would certainly recommend you go to uh, thefilmyapp.com and sign up. It's a very inexpensive uh, subscription. Yes, go ahead, Adam. Chris Lloyd, who runs uh, the film app, pays the writers. So it's not a, a giant amount, but is it is appreciated. Uh, you know, artists and or writers, and we're not artists. We're bare, critics are not artists. But, uh, you know, they should be paid for their work. And so it's nice to, uh, even if it's, you know, $5, $10, something like that, uh, it's always appreciated. Well, criticism is at least an advanced craft, if not a, an art form. So we'll we'll leave it at that. Okay, we're going to talk about film, and I'm going to let Adam start because Adam, you have recently posted a piece on I think it's on thefilmyap.com, and it's about the actors that have been in the Marvel films. You're a big fan of Marvel films, I think Alec is too. I, I'm okay with them. I'm not as big a fan as the two of you, but you're talking about actors that are wasted in. Marvel films, and I do want to know more about this. So I came up with, so I was watching uh, Doctor Strange the other day, uh, one of the Marvel films that features uh, Oscar nominee Benedict Cumberbatch, and he's actually very good in it. And so is Tilda Swinton, who's an Oscar winner, who's in the movie. But then I noticed there were some other acclaimed actors in this film that didn't get much screen time and felt like a waste that you recruited and signed such a talented actor. And then to have them uh, barely get to flex their acting muscles. In this one movie in particular, you have Oscar nominee Rachel McAdams, Oscar nominee 
Chiwetelogio for from 12 Years a Slave. Uh, Michael Stolbarg, who's never been nominated for an Oscar, but who was excellent in Boardwalk Empire, Call Me By Your Name, uh, The Shape of Water. And the biggest one was Mads Mikkelsen. If you've watched uh, any of his foreign films, such as Another Round uh, or the TV series Hannibal, you know he is a great actor. And they got face paint on him. He never talks. But this is a trend in Marvel movies. I'm looking through Anthony Hopkins and Thor. You know, he doesn't really get to do that much. This is a two-time Oscar winner. You've got uh, Natalie Portman, a great actress who's relegated to the girlfriend role in Thor. Thor is another has a lot of them. For example, Christopher Eccleston in one of the Thor movies. One of the doctors from Doctor Who. And again, he's got all these prosthetics. And he, Thor you can too, barely, I think. Yeah, and you can really see that uh, it's him. So they've had a lot of uh, good actors that they've recruited over the years. I think I counted there was over 50 Oscar-nominated actors that have appeared in Marvel movies, even more if you include future movies, TV shows, and there's some of them that have been Oscar-nominated for other things, like writing, such as uh, Taika Waititi or Julie Delpy from the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset films as a small cameo in some of these movies. So... They've got great actors, but there's some of them. I wrote on this list of the top 25. They're not really using all their acting juice. They're underutilized in my viewpoint. Well, let me ask you, Alec, because I know you have an interest in this as well. Do you think it's a matter of uh, the Marvel producers and directors are luring these, this great talent in for small parts? Or do the actors just want to be a part of the Marvel universe? Where do you think this is coming from? I would suspect it's a little column A, a little column of little column B. Uh, I love these movies generally, but a lot of times they are over stuff. They got a lot going on. And so maybe they don't have a huge role, but they like getting paid. They, their mortgages need to get paid as well. So they show up and do it. So Alec, who do you think has been wasted in the Marvel universe? Um, he made your list and I would probably agree. Um, Daniel Kaluuya and Black Panther. Maybe it was just in the writing of the role, but the guy is such a dynamic performer and has been good in so many different things. Uh, he didn't do much for me in that movie. Why do you say that, Alec? I'm curious. Uh, I mean, it could, like I said, it could be the writing of the character. He wasn't especially likable. He didn't really have a huge arc in the movie. Um, I don't know. By comparison to something like Judas and the Black Messiah or Get Out, I just felt the work was lacking. Well, no, I agree with that, but I think uh, his maybe the character was not written as complicated as Judith's and the Black Messiah. How do you weigh in on all this, Adam? So Black Panther is another one that's got it's a great movie, but they put a lot of big name actors in there. You've got a couple Oscar winners in Forrest Whitaker and Lupita Nyong'o. I, I think I said the name right. Um, you know, they don't they don't have big part. They don't have big parts in that movie. You also have, like you said, Daniel Kaluuya, now an Oscar winner, not a, not a big part. Uh, and Angela Bassett. You forgot she's in there, too. Barely in the movie. Um, actually, who steals the show in the film is Letitia Wright, uh, kind of an unknown actress at the time, who plays uh, Black Panther's younger sister. Uh, so it's interesting. You've got all these big-name, accomplished talents, and then the unknown talent, ends up stealing the show. I think Black Panther is a special case because it was the very first Hollywood film with a nearly almost all Af or predominantly African-American cast 
which made a lot of money for the studio. Studios always said that, you know, well, if we have a predominantly African-American cast, we're not going to make any money. I think a lot of actors and actresses and even writers got involved with that project because they wanted to show Hollywood that, hey, we, we can make money for you. Alec, what, what do you think about that uh, assertion? Uh, I mean, Black Panther is an important movie. Uh, it's important to have representation on screen of, of all sorts of people. Um, in some respects, I don't think it's the greatest of movies. Like, there's some really terrible special effects in the movie. The, the like, elephants, rhinos and stuff at the end, there's no weight to them. The last fight between Black Panther and Killmonger, they look like Stretch Armstrong. There's there's no weight to them. They're, they're super elastic. Um, culturally... And um, I, I guess just having representation for, for young folks makes the movie important, but it's not a perfect movie by any means. Stretch Armstrong, huh? <laughs> what about another one that was on my list of wasted actors? Idris Elba. He is a huge bankable movie star, both dramatic. We've seen he can do dramatic stuff. And he's an action star, too. He's in action movies. He's muscular. He's charming. He could have been the lead in some Marvel movie or at least like the top villain. And instead he's relegated to the guy who's the gatekeeper in the Thor films who lets him across that rainbow bridge. It's kind of a boring monotone role. And I think he hated doing it because he's he, he, a lot of times any of you guys watch that Val Kilmer documentary on Amazon prime. I did. So it's actually, it's really good. Larry, you'd like it. Okay. Larry loves documentaries. How come you've not seen this, Larry? Come I've on. just been too busy, I guess, with other things. But you know <laughs> you something. Are. But you know something, Adam. I, I, uh, you, you have a lot of examples in your piece yeah. about Marvel. I actually think the greatest example of, of a wasted acting performance yeah. is not in Marvel, but it's in DC. It was the first Christopher Reeve Superman film. People forget Marlon Brando played the the the, the role yeah. of Jor El. He was on set for 11 days, but I heard he got paid a gigantic amount of money. Nobody really knows how much it was in the millions just to be on the set for 11 days because they needed some star power. And Reeves wasn't a big star at that time. So that may have been, I think, maybe one of the biggest examples of you could say it's a wasted acting performance. But that was Brando didn't really want to be that involved with it. and, And that was the extent to which he was willing to be involved. So I bring up the Val Kilmer documentary because uh, he talked about how excited he was to be Batman because he was in the third Batman movie, Batman Forever. He was a Batman fan. Who doesn't want to be Batman? And then came the suit, this thick plastic, you know, suit, all covering up with him with. And I think they had the nipples coming out, too, which was not looking good. But it is hard to act through this. He said he could barely stand up. They had to help him stand up and stand down. And I think the same with some of these Marvel movies. You put so much prosthetics on someone's face and you're acting on a green screen. It's hard to get a good performance out of anyone, even some of the greatest actors ever under those circumstances. I think of some folks who've transcended that, though. I mean, if you look at like Ben Mendelsohn and um, uh, Captain Marvel, I thought he still conveyed a lot. I don't know if the makeup was just really well done or if he's that good of an actor. But uh, You've got people who are good at it. Doug Jones seems to be an expert at acting under tough circumstances and a lot of makeup and prosthetics. But, he but doesn't, not everyone's able to do it. But he doesn't have to deliver lines either. 
So, he has in some stuff. Well, I mostly actually. not. Okay. So I think that's a, that's a good discussion. Uh, I think uh, Adam makes his point that Marvel films uh, maybe waste some acting talent, but why that happens, I think, uh, as Alex said, it's it's more than one reason. Some actors want to be a part, and some producers, directors are willing to pay reasonably good money just for a few days' work, and maybe that's what everybody wants. So, But some are happy just for their cameo. Like Glenn yeah. Close... She had a very small part in Guardians of the Galaxy. She wasn't complaining that she was only in one scene. You know what she said was, it was so awesome to even be a small part of a movie that she enjoyed. Well, I think I that's kind sure of the right attitude. Yes, a lot of them probably do it because their kids are into it. I know, like, I've heard a story about Frank Langella doing Masters of the Universe back in the 80s, speaking of acting under makeup. Um, and he did it just to impress his son. He wasn't really into the idea of doing the movie, but it was important to his kid. Therefore, he did it. No, the whole Batman thing is is interesting to me. Aside from the uh, the the problems with with the costume, because I was a kid growing up reading the the Batman comic books, but I found that was as you know the the character got on film, you know that whole character became much darker in the film version and most of them, not all, but most of them then was in the co- the comic book. He was a big hero and you know, you, you were on his side and, and you see some of these films. It's like, this guy's a bit wacko. So I think uh, every writer team director and maybe even to the producer putting the whole idea together, uh, they all have different views on this. And maybe that's why so many of these actors and actresses are willing to, have small parts, but I think you document that well, uh, and I would recommend people read your piece. It's on the filmyapp.com, correct? Uh, yeah, on the Substack. You just just go to the filmyapp on Facebook, like it on Facebook, and all of the articles pop up there, or like gradeamovies.com on Facebook. Now, while we're talking about Marvel, I want to talk about one thing, Larry, before I get into my review. We had two trailers for upcoming Marvel movies drop. It's interesting with Marvel right now. We went from having no Marvel movies in like a year and a half to getting Black Panther, uh, Black Widow, then Shang-Chi, which I'll review in a minute. And then Eternals and Spider-Man are coming out in November and December. So it's um, basically what, August uh, or July, July Black, uh, Black Widow came out, July, September, October or no, no, July, September, November, December. It's like four movies in like five months, six months. It's but, crazy. But you know, Alex, some of this is our production issues and also uh, release date issues all surrounding COVID. Yeah. With Don't you think that's the reason it's happening this way? 100%. And it wouldn't shock me if one or both of those movies don't come out later this year. We'll see the what they're The thing on those trailers, Eternals, Larry, if you haven't seen this trailer this is like the Marvel movie for you. Oh, really? Why, why do you, you say that? <laughs> well, it's directed Chloe by Chloe Zhao, who did Nomadland, directed it. And it looks like from the trailer, like they let her do her thing. They didn't hold her back. It's got cool cinematography uh, and interesting story. I'm, I'm interested in this one. And then the Spider-Man trailer, they're going in a weird direction with this, where they're actually going to bring back characters from the sony spider-man movies they're going to take advantage of the multiverse the different dimensions that are being unlocked in the marvel universe and they're going to bring back alfred molina as dr octopus that's confirmed in the trailer and it's rumored that jamie fox 
and Willem Dafoe and maybe Tobey Maguire, they may make appearances as well. Well, you talk about uh, actors having small parts with, with big names. You just yeah. dropped a lot of names there. Oh, yeah. We well, have. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Adam, let's talk about uh, that. You talked about this film. Uh, you teased it a moment ago. Give us your review. So Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. You remember I was very harsh on Black Widow uh, as a entry in the Marvel Universe. One criticism I had of it, I thought that it really kind of was a victory lap. It kind of dealt in the past of the MCU, which is fine. But I was interested in moving forward. I'm interested in the next phase. What's going to happen in the future? And I think Shang-Chi gives us a glimpse into the future of the MCU. It stars uh, Simu Lee or Lu. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to apologize ahead of time for any mispronunciations. It is not an offense. I'm just a, a Hoosier here. Um, but uh, he is a Canadian actor, not very well known, who plays Shang-Chi, uh, who is the son of this power-hungry, eternal, uh, magical guy played by um, Hong Kong legend Tony Long. Um, in the comic books, the father of Shang-Chi was Fu Manchu. And if you know a little about Fu Manchu and his uh, mustache, uh, he was a very offensive character, actually originated in 1930s pulp novels. Marvel bought the rights and put him in the comic books. Uh, Marvel has decided, rightfully so, that that character is racially insensitive. Plus, they don't own the rights anymore. And so they have decided that the father now will be the Mandarin, a character that has been in a lot of the Marvel movies or Marvel comic books. He was in, kind of in... Iron Man 3, but it was kind of a fake out with Ben Kingsley playing him. Uh, But the Asian-inspired villain to mostly Iron Man, uh, the Mandarin, has been a little racially insensitive, too. I think they do a good job, though, of cleaning that up, making this a way to honor Asian heritage. And the movie itself is really enjoyable. It has really good martial arts, by far the best we've seen in the Marvel Universe, good hand-to-hand combat. And then the final third of the movie kind of gets into some CGI with some dragons and lions, this weird fantasy mystical stuff. But I kind of dug it because it was different than every other Marvel movie. They've done 25 MCU movies now. You got to shake it up. And it looks like Shang-Chi is going to do that or has done that. And Eternals definitely will push the envelope into much weirder territory, which I think they need to do now. So I gave it four out of five. Um, I thought that it was uh, refreshing and enjoyable. Well, so we have a definite uh, thumbs up on that one from Adam. So, Adam, thanks for that review. I'm going to go over to Alec now. Alec uh, has a review of No Man of God. Uh, what I know about this film is, is, is very intriguing. Tell us about it and what you think. No Man of God is a uh, dr- dramatic, I, I wouldn't call it, it's a drama uh, about an FBI profiler uh, named Bill Hagmeyer. He was one of the FBI's first criminal profilers back in the early 1980s. Um, he's been tasked with interviewing and trying to gather information from famed serial killer Ted Bundy. Um, Bundy notoriously hated federal agents and liked to toy with them. Hagmeyer kind of takes a different approach in his interviews over which he does, I mean, he's with him five, six years, all told, and 
numerous visits. The two men have such a rapport that at one point Bundy refers to Hagmeyer as his best friend. Um, the two men commiserate over their roles as fathers. It's an interesting movie. Um, it really excels in its performances. Elijah Wood plays Bill Hagmeyer, and a Canadian actor named Luke Kirby uh, plays Bundy. Both men are excellent in the movie. It was written by a gentleman named C. Robert Cargill. We were talking about Marvel earlier. He wrote Doctor Strange. He also wrote uh, the two slasher movies, Sinister and Sinister 2. He was also a film critic before becoming a screenwriter. He wrote under the handle Massaworm at the uh, popular website Ain't It Cool. Uh, but but I, I thought the movie was really good. It wasn't uh, sensationalistic in the slightest. There's no depictions of the murders Bundy perpetrated. Um, there are moments in the movie that are, are scary, but it's conveyed through performance and words. So I would recommend it. I'm in the midst of writing my review. I took a break to come here and record with you guys. I would uh, give the movie four out of five stars. Oh, so you're both big on your films. I think the Bundy story, Alec, uh, is one everyone knows or has some familiarity with. It, it was such a huge publicity splash when it happened. Uh, did you walk away from this film feeling differently about Bundy or about the same? Um, about the same. I mean, I will acknowledge the man could be charming to a certain extent. He was kind of handsome and, and intelligent, but he's also a monster, and the movie doesn't let you forget that. So where does this rank among the Bundy portrayals? You had Zac Efron, and then they had that terrible one in 2002 where the guy kind of looked like Norm MacDonald. Um, which one do you think is the best? Kirby kind of steals the movie. Uh, I found him very dynamic in the role, and he, he, he looked and felt more like Bundy than Zac Efron did. Um, there's been a little bit of sniping between Amber Seeley, the woman who directed this movie, and Joe Berlinger, or Berlinger, I think it's Berlinger, uh, who directed both of the Netflix Bundy efforts, both the documentary and the Efron movie a few years back. He uh, seems to be suggesting that she's poo-pooing his work and saying it glamorized Bundy, which I don't think she did, but they've kind of been going at it a little bit. Well, I mean, I, he must think he's the Bundy expert, I guess. I, I thought... I thought his documentary was better than his feature film. I would agree. Although there were some good performances in that movie. I think Malkovich played a judge in the movie and he's always entertaining to watch. Well, gentlemen, I'm going to go and uh, do a quick review here myself. Uh, this is a docu-series that uh, has recently aired on HBO. It's called Small Town News. This took me back several years ago. My wife and I have always enjoyed going to Las Vegas. And we were in Las Vegas several years ago, and my wife went off to do her thing. I had most of the day to myself. We had a rental car, so I just thought I've never driven out into the desert. Just I just like to do that. Go out on a little two-lane road and just head out in the desert and see what I find. And it, it really was a, a different experience seeing these huge mountains and driving in between them. But I did come across this little town about an hour outside Las Vegas. The town is Pahrump. Pahrump's got about 40,000 people living there. Uh, it's a small, pretty conservative town, even though it's known for legal, yeah, le say. legal brothels. It's a whole story about how those legal brothels came about. Those people are, 
I say the word conservative, it's more, they're more libertarian than conservative. That makes any sense to you. You know, do your own thing, and but uh, we're still conservative in, in general, but we, hey, our brothels are here and we get tax money from them. And how that all happened is a whole other story. It really wasn't so much a a choice as somebody who uh, finagled some, some local laws to his advantage. But this is all about this little television station in Pahrump, KPVM, and it's a local station. They go out and do little local stories that you would imagine a little uh, uh, news operation in a small town would do. And there are there are a lot of interesting characters in this film. The owner's name is Vern. Vern is a he's a conservative politically. He's a big Donald Trump fan. Uh, when Donald Trump and and Trump Jr. and some of these people come through Las Vegas during the presidential campaign, you know he's there and he he's he did get an interview with Don Jr. But he was all excited about a Trump interview and it never happened because the staff just m- messed up and he was pretty upset about that with the uh, with the Trump campaign staff. But one thing Vern wanted to do was okay. He's in Pahrump. He's got this little transmitter out there. People in Pahrump can get the TV station. He has big plans. He has a, and I'll try to explain what this means. He wanted to have a repeater station. Repeater station means you get a transmitter and a tower at another location to in- increase the uh, the number of people who can pick up your TV station. Like Channel Four in Indianapolis has a repeater station in Kokomo, for example, even though their main transmitter is in Trafalgar between Bloomington and Indianapolis. So they get this repeater station on, they kind of document this. He's got the engineers getting the tower up and he's got the transmitter and the connection with Pahrump and he's all excited. He's going to compete in the Las Vegas market, you know, more than a million people in this market. And he's going to go to town. He's going to make a lot of money off this. And then boom, COVID hit. And I don't think COVID hit any one area or metropolitan area as much as it just murdered Las Vegas economically. Uh, It just killed that town, which is built on tourism. And the casinos had to close down and the restaurants closed down. And all the things and the shows, all the things people come to Vegas for were shut down. Uh, There are some other the buffets have been, yeah, they just recently came back, as a matter of fact. The buffets had been, they were down for a long, they tried a different version of buffets where you, where you'd like check it off on a, on a card or something, and that just never worked out. People like to pick out their own buffet items, but they're now coming back. But, but anyway, Vegas shuts down, so he, all of his big plans are, are out the window, at least for the moment. But he's got so, these characters. He has a, his news director's named Dina. She is quite a character. And uh, she's lived there in Pahrumpha. She knows everybody in town. And she's, you know, they all have a camera and they just interview. It's all themselves. They don't, there are no separate camera people. You know, the reporter is the camera person. And uh, they're out running around doing stories. And then she anchors the news in the evening. The problem they have, though, is that they can't keep anybody to produce the program. It's kind of done on a computer program, as you might imagine in today's world. And every time somebody gets good at it, he finds another job. And so it's been, they were he's in this case, on, in every case. Finally, it kind of ends up with this one fellow by default, and he he's just trying to learn how to do it. They try to do live coverage for election night, and he can't even figure out how to bring in all the different video that they have to bring in. It's really hilarious to watch all this. Uh, the salespeople are funny. They, their weather person left, so one of the salesgirls' husband ended up being the new weather guy, and he was just off the wall crazy, jumping around 
and and you know he would have the green backdrop, and but they would show the mountains in the background. He would jump out of the mountains. It was just he would just do anything for for effect, and it was hilarious to watch that. So it was. It's just this cast of characters, this goofy group of people trying to make this television station go. However, even after saying all that, after seeing six episodes, I'm kind of sorry I even started. It wasn't that good. Uh, it could have been better. It might have been a, a documentary an hour or two long. might have been okay, but six half-hour episodes, it just didn't sustain itself. So sadly, it's, it's still up there on HBO Max and on HBO if you have that. KPVM is the, in Pahrump, the Small Town News is the name of the docu-series. Had a great deal of promise, but never did come through. So I give a, I'd have to give this a, a, a D plus. Just, just not something I would waste my time on. There's a lot better, uh, there are better products on HBO that you can wear, that can watch and enjoy. So that's my view on that. Um, trying to respect everybody's time, including our listeners and our viewers. So uh, I'm going to give everybody a chance to make some final comments. Alec, uh, your final comments for this podcast. My review of No Man of God will be up later today. Um, I'll have two reviews up tomorrow. Uh, one of Nia DaCosta's remake, sequel, reboot, cool, whatever it is, of Candyman as well as the Hulu original movie Vacation Friends, starring John Cena and Laurel Howery. Um, I did have a question of, of Adam real quick, kind of rewind back to Shang-Chi. Uh, I'm a fairly big fan of that movie's director, uh, Destin, is it Destin Daniel Cretton? Yeah. Um, his last movie, Just Mercy, was one of my favorite movies of 2019. I'm just curious uh, what sort of directorial flourishes he brought to the movie. So, you know, if you look at his other movies, I don't think he ever was really like a truly visual director. It was more acting performances in Just Mercy and uh, Short Term 12 was the other one that was really good. He had a film in between with Brie Larson, I think. Yeah. And it was based on a novel and it was okay. Actually, good acting. But I think a lot of fans of the book said that it was a bad adaptation of that book. I think me and Larry reviewed that on the podcast at one point. Um, But, you know, I'll. One spoiler, Brie Larson makes an appearance because, uh, you know, he's he's had Brie Larson in every one of his movies. He's got to have that again. Um, so I think it kind of follows that same trend. This has really good acting, um, but uh, and the, actually does a really good job with the fight choreography. You know, something that he wasn't in his other films, so we didn't know how he'd do with it. He does a great job with the CGI, which, again, wasn't in his other films. So I... I Obviously, when you make a Marvel movie, you've got producers to help guide you through the look and the feel. Uh, but they did let him have a little bit of his own uh, directorial stamp on it, especially in the flashback scenes. I, I could definitely see a, you know, a little bit of uh, his directorial flair in those flashbacks. Cool. Thank just, you. Just to let everybody know, uh, Alec was talking about uh, the the reviews that that will be coming up. We are recording this in the late morning of August twenty sixth. So by the time you watch or listen to this, No Man of God, that review should be on. Um, will be at uh, filmyapp dot com. Filmyapp and Grade A Movies. Excellent. One that's available for everybody. Okay, so every, easy ways uh, to find uh, Alec's reviews of late. Let's turn to Adam. Uh, final comments from Adam. Uh, and I'm a, hey, watch that Val Kilmer documentary on uh, Amazon Prime. It's uh, it's really good. 
uh, you know, it, it's interesting. So Val Kilmer, he obviously can't talk very well right now. He had throat cancer. Uh, so his son actually narrates it, uh, which is interesting. But, you know, obviously with his blessing, he's in the documentary. But Val Kilmer did years and years of recording himself footage when he was a kid, when he was on film sets. So it's a really interesting look at his acting career. Uh, and you get a lot, for a movie lover, you got a lot of insights into films like uh, Top Gun and Tombstone and even the lesser films that could have been good, like The Island of Dr. Moreau, which don't want to take up too much time. But if you're interested in failed movie productions, read up on the story of The Island of Dr. Moreau. It was a film set disaster. Or watch the documentary about the making of the movie Island of Lost Souls. The making of the island of Dr. Moreau. I don't even that, know. I didn't even know that exists. Now that's on my you, list. You, you should find it. The movie is bonkers. The director, the original director, uh, Richard Stanley, got fired off the movie and was replaced with John Frankenheimer. Sta- uh, Stanley went back to the set and dressed up as an animal and was like hanging out. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bizarre. And Marlon Brando refused to come out of his trailer. Yeah. I mean, you see some of that in the, in the Kilmer doc too, but uh, yeah. So how, how would you rate Val Kilmer's uh, depiction of Jim Morrison? Oh, I think it's one of his best roles. Yeah, yeah I, I, thought would, I thought he was, that was one of his, I mean, he has a lot of good roles. I really ranked that up pretty high. I thought that was a, a good film. In, in the documentary, they say that when he, he got that role, because he started sending out audition tapes to directors he wanted to work with. He didn't wait for the studio. And he sent one to uh, Stanley Kubrick because he really wanted to be in full metal jacket. He didn't get it. Uh, running he, in his backyard with a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> and he sent one to Martin Scorsese around the time of Goodfellas because he wanted to be in a Scorsese film. He never was. But it did work with Oliver Stone. Uh, and he was, he, I think, was the perfect person to play Jim Morrison. I got a final comment that uh, I, I find interesting. Uh, I'm a big fan of James Bond from the early days. And uh, the first Bond film I had a chance to see was in the theater was Thunderball. But there was an Aston Martin car that was used in both Goldfinger and Thunderball, and let's face it, it it was uh, you know it was it was quite a souped up version. I mean, gizmos all over it, obviously, and uh, it was it was a, a valuable car once they retired it from the the Bond films. I did read some years ago, about twenty five years ago, that that car went missing. Somebody had apparently stolen it from some wherever it was at the time. I just saw an article in the Telegraph newspaper in the United Kingdom that says that it has now been found that then they matched it up with the VIN, the vehicle identification number. It is part of some private collection somewhere in the Middle East. It's estimated that that vehicle is worth $25 million today. Did anyone ask Nick Cage? Nobody. I, mean, <laughs> I don't think, unless he's living in the Middle East now. I, don't, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Nick Cage is capable of just about anything. Quite a character. One of the great actors and characters in all of film. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, great, great episode today. We're looking forward to a lot of films that are coming up, and we've talked about some that are that are around. And now Alec Toombs and Adam Austin, thank you very much. I'm Larry Lannon. We wish you have a great rest of the day. Enjoy films, and please be safe and be kind.